are listening to First Church Charlotte. Happy Wednesday, everyone. We're delighted to have you join with us for our midweek Bible study. Sometimes it's a Bible study. Uh, Sometimes it's a spiritual conversation. Um, We'll see how it goes. Uh, I want to direct your attention to a passage of scripture that is right at the beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is interesting understanding to be uh, derived from noting the timeline of when certain subjects come up in the story of Jesus, uh, whether it's in the early years, the years of the year of popularity, where his uh, his fame is is quite impressive, or whether it is later in the, the uh, really when the crowd is going to turn away from him, uh, I, I, it helps the words to live. And as you know, I'm I'm that's one of the, my goals and one of my shall we say high standards uh, for my personal pursuit of of the scripture and learning about the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to say as a way of reminding everyone and myself that um, I'm, I'm not an expert on, uh, I, I can't consider myself an expert on, on these things. I have, because of the great gift of ministry, given, been given an opportunity to spend most of my life thinking about these things and spend most of my time either studying or reflecting or talking with other people whose opinion and consecration I deeply respect. And so the closest claim that I have to being an expert um, is just that I've been enabled to live a life through ministry of most of my energy and time pursuing some, some type of spiritual, biblical thought, idea, effort, you understand what I'm saying. Having to preach uh, two to three times a week is like a treadmill. And so no matter what you did today, uh, Sunday's coming. And no matter what you enjoyed or what distraction you were caught by, uh, Wednesday's coming. And so it continues to put you back in that study mode. And at times it's it's tiresome. Uh, That's full disclosure. But in any in any larger review of it, it is a great gift because it allows people in ministry to spend most of their life in the Word of the Lord, learning and growing. The passage I'm going to read is from Matthew chapter 9, and it is this, this scene, this moment is actually recorded um, by all the gospel, all the gospels, if I, if I remember correctly. I know at least three of them have it, um, where... Jesus has just called his disciples. I mean, it's like he doesn't, he hasn't even really started. He's at the very beginning of choosing the people who will carry his message to the world. He's also at the very beginning of emerging in Jewish public life as somebody that people know and as somebody who represents something as somebody who is not content to follow the traditions of, of his or her, his elders, um, we, in sometimes, some circumstances, we are placed in those situations where uh, we have to lead. We no longer can simply pursue 
some version of religious attaboy where you please uh, another person's view of, of God, another person's view of deity, another person's understanding of consecration, another person's uh, depth of Bible study. Uh, you step out of the attaboy phase. Now, I, I want to be fair. Um, we are all of us followers before we are leaders. To try to push your way to leadership is usually a mistake. Uh, I'm sure there's exceptions. There are to everything, but it's usually a mistake. Usually, um, the process of growth begins by God placing leadership in your life. And you learn, follow, grow, are challenged, are directed, are corrected, are reproved, are rebuked. You get the idea. And in time, you come into a place of you're no longer in the attaboy phase of your spirituality, but you are leading people somewhere. For, for Jesus, this happened at that coming of age uh, where at 30 years of old, he became a man um, in Jewish life who could now speak to people. Uh, there was kind of an unspoken cultural artifact in Jewish life that uh, if you were under the age of 30, you really shouldn't try to lead anybody in spiritual things. You, uh, you might be good at many things. You might be a great soldier or a great carpenter, but you, you probably should be more silent than, than speak up. Um, I, I don't know where that line is drawn in our modern day. Um, I don't even know if it is drawn. Um, I think nowadays people vote with their feet. And if they don't want to hear any more, they just kind of vote with their feet. Um, this is somewhat different than the time of Jesus where there's this clear kind of uh, timeline where after this time of life, after the age of 30, you now can unveil a ministry, not of your personal devotion and faith, but a ministry of leading others. And so at this time of Jesus's life, um, he steps forth, he stands up in the synagogue, uh, quotes Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Lord has called me. Um, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to fulfill this prophetical mission statement given to us in Isaiah 61. This is what I am here to do. And of course, this caused a great stir. And he's no longer an attaboy leader. He's not just pleasing what his, he's not doing something that would please his local rabbi. Have you ever thought that Jesus had a local rabbi? Have you ever thought that Jesus had um, order in his life? Um, have you ever thought that Jesus, um, he had learned a lot at the feet of his parents, so to speak? Um, I think there's a glimpse of this. Uh, when Mary comes and asks to meet with him privately, and this is not what I'm teaching about, but th I've been thinking about this. Um, his mother comes to meet with him privately, and, and when she asks for this private meeting, he says no. Now, remember, this happens very early in his ministry. This is not later. And this is when Jesus makes this statement about if you are not willing to forsake father, mother, sister, brother, then you're not worthy of me. Um, now, we know, because we have a lot of things Jesus said, that he did not teach dishonoring of elders or dishonoring of parents. In fact, uh, one of the critiques he made of the Pharisees was that they had these technical things that allowed them to 
Um, they couldn't swear by the tabernacle, but they could swear by the gold in the tabernacle. All these technical little theological games, but they would not even take care of their parents. Jesus clearly rebuking them publicly, written down in the Gospels, he's not advocating disrespect of parents or elders. And yet when Mary comes very early in his ministry and asks for this private meeting, he says, no, if, if you are not willing to turn your back on that. Well, I, I've spent the last month thinking about this, and I think, I, I, this is my thinking, I think what's going on here is um, this is a type of a family intervention where his mother, early in, the, in his ministry, is trying to figure out what he's doing. And she knows she's been a faithful, devout believer. She has worshipped the God through the system given to her by Moses and the prophets and the, the temple system and the structures of Jewish life, both spiritual and legal. And all of a sudden, her son comes and he's a rebel. He's throwing it all out. And I think that's when she... this. This is my thinking. I'm not developing a new doctrine here. I think you're seeing the intra-family tension early in Jesus' ministry where his mother wants him to continue the attaboy ministry. Just do what you're supposed to do. But here's the thing. He can't continue a ministry that is in some way approved of by the, the system he has come to age in and be who he is called to be. It's not an option. And so he waited till the time had come, and then he proceeded. And this was hard for his mother. And when she comes, if, that's, if this indeed is what it is, um, to kind of have an intervention of sorts. And here at the very beginning, try to make it an easier road for him. She loves him. Um, he, he cannot receive her, and he will not meet with her, even while even while continuing to teach uh, appropriate respect and honor uh, for elders and uh, for his parents. Um, so early in the ministry of Jesus, there's interesting things that happen like this that I, I think it helps us to, to grasp what is, even if we can't know, I think there's, there's some, some depth there for us to, to seek to know as we, with all that is within us, with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we passionately desire to know the ways of the Lord, the heart of, of the Lord. So I'm going to read here uh, in Matthew chapter number eight, excuse me, Matthew chapter number nine. And this passage is actually the calling of Matthew, who in an interesting way is uh, both the writer, the author, and the subject. So at verse number nine, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax, tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. I'm reading from the New Living Translation because you know how I love to approach the scripture with fresh ears. So, <laughs> invites Jesus and his disciples to Matthew's home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. I love that word, <laughs> these disreputable. I'm preaching to all you disreputable types out there. 
But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? (laughs) New Living Translation, you gotta love it. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. So Jesus is about to quote a scripture from the Old Testament, quote, For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Not those who think they are righteous, notice the verb, but those who know they are sinners. It seems as though there is a roadblock for people coming near to Jesus Christ if they think they're righteous. Now, whether or not they actually are, that's, that's another issue. But if they have some formula they're using, and as long as they meet the standard of that formula, then they're righteous, um, they have a hard time coming to Jesus. Now, that may be less the case now, since Jesus is the, really, the, the Christianity is the number one religion in the world, uh, more people than any other, and so it's kind of, in some ways, the orthodox, the conventional and then Jesus, uh, his way was risky. He was, no one knew him. He, he was just coming kind of, as it were, onto the stage of his calling. And, and so here you see, you see these righteous types and they're very, they're offended at the people Jesus is eating dinner with. All right, so just let that scene kind of set here for a moment. When I was a young preacher. I, I evangelized for eight and a half years, if you are exactly, if you want to do exact, but um, I started, you know, sometime into my Bible school, and so it's a long time. And so the interesting thing um, is how it became a, not just a place of opportunity, but it became a place of growth, it became a place of tr- trial, it became a place of testing, None of us really find a free ride of faith. All of us survive our wildernesses, and all of us pursue our callings. And so I would, I would just full disclosure here, I loved going to amazing churches where, I mean, just look at them sitting out there. Out there. I mean, it, was, it felt like camp meeting. They, they knew how to preach. They knew how to sing. They'd preach with you. They'd make you think you were a better preacher than you actually were. It was awesome. It was amazing. And I, those are the kind of churches I like preaching at. If that doesn't make me a bad person, um, it just, I guess, makes me a young preacher. And so, one of the men who probably had more influence on me as a preacher, not as a Christian, I never knew him personally. Um, He had a habit, and I didn't know him myself, but I knew a lot of people who did. And so I heard a lot of things that he said secondhand, and that's always dangerous. Um, but I think I think these are pretty 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 safe to 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 tell the story. Now, he had a habit when he was talking about his church. He would he would brag on it. That's not bad. Uh, all pastors are pa- proud of the churches. They should be. If they're not, they need to have a conversation with God about thinking they're too good for the call God gave them. But they should be proud. I know I'm proud. I'm stinking proud. <laughs> And uh, I, when he would be 
proud of his church. He, he would brag on it, and he, he would do it in this way. He would, a big church, and he would say, we have 400 families, and then he would go down a list of things that, that he believed, and that's fine, um, uh, standard-type things. Uh, and he would, he would, we have 400 families, and then he would make that list, this and this and this and this and this and this, and he, was, and he preached against wedding rings, and he'd always end with wedding rings, as the story was told to me. They don't do this, they don't do this, they don't do this, they don't do this, and there's not a wedding ring on them. <laughs> so, um, I, I, look, nothing wrong with that. I'm not being judgy. I'm, I'm telling a story here to give you insight into that's the kind of churches that as a pastor, you would be, man, this is... So, uh, let's ask ourselves this question. Um, what kind of a church would Jesus like going to? Now, hopefully, he goes to all of our churches. I mean, it would be terrible to have church and not have Jesus there, right? Uh, <laughs> there might be a few places they finally ran him out because they really didn't need him because they, they, they didn't need a Savior. Um, but as long as you, you need a Savior and you know it, um, he's as close as the mention of his name. Uh, <laughs> I'm having fun, forgive me. Um, if he was in the flesh and among us and visiting churches... What kind of church would he like? Well, if it was like me, particularly as a young preacher, um, I have different, different things make me happy now. Um, I, actually, I actually get just as excited or more excited about a, a big first steps class as I do having a, a good attendance number um, because that really is those people are the new people being brought into a family of faith. And um, that's me now, but let's, let's be honest. It's a lot funner to, to preach to that church where they're all lined up. They don't do this, they don't smoke, and they don't chew, and they don't run with girls that do, and there's not a wedding room on them. Bless God. <laughs> um, that's the kind of church that is fun for me, but I don't think that's the kind of church Jesus would like. Okay, so what is happening in this moment early in the ministry of Jesus when he is challenged by the, the religious police, so to speak, the literal bearers of the faith, those who control, those who speak, the, the scribes, the priests, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin council, all of them are critical of Jesus. And here is Jesus, and he's eating with the wrong kind of people. If you're going to be a teacher of righteousness, you should hang out with righteous people to show it matters. Because if you teach righteousness and then don't have the righteous people following you, then it makes people think you don't care about righteousness. Because righteousness is, this is the philosophy of the Pharisee, righteousness is an accomplishment of the people, not a accomplishment of God. So, uh, let me not get sidetracked. Um, here he is, and the house is full of sinners and tax collectors, and the Pharisees are offended. Who does he think he is? But something is happening here, and I, I want to give you, I love finding a, like a, a phrase or something that you can carry with you, but it compresses a larger theological truth within it. So here, here's my three statements 
And we can just entitle this tonight, these three statements. A broken kingdom, a broken king, and a kingdom of the broken. What do I mean? God created a perfect world. He placed humanity within that world. And he was a king upon a kingdom. But through sin, the kingdom was broken. And the unity of celebration, spiritual celebration, where humanity and deity, creator and created, commune together, um, that's lost. And this, this, this division of righteous and unrighteous uh, is manifest by Adam and Eve being uh, banished from the garden. Now you have a broken kingdom. Uh, it's not the king who's broken. It's the kingdom that is broken. It's the members of that kingdom that are broken. That's the story of sin. Well, the story of redemption is when this king decides to save the broken kingdom by bearing its brokenness in himself. And a whole king cannot bear brokenness without being broken by it. Else it would not be brokenness. So Jesus is going to be the broken king. He is going to be rent, torn, beaten, flogged, crucified for us. That's the broken king. So what do we have? We have a broken kingdom. That's the story of sin. We have a broken king. That's the redemptive story of Jesus Christ. And finally, what do we have? We have a kingdom of the broken. Jesus eats with Pharisees and sinners and meets with uh, infamous women of bad reputation at wells during the middle of the day. He breaks all these rules because he builds a kingdom of broken things. And I think the kind of church that God would enjoy most if Jesus were here in the flesh among us, I think the kind of church that he would enjoy most would not be the church that you can say, we got a hundred families out there and they don't smoke and they don't chew and they don't run with girls that do. They don't have a wedding ring. I, I don't think, you see, I, I don't think that's the kind of church that Jesus would be most favorable toward. Uh, he, he said this, um, <laughs> it's not healthy people that need a doctor. It's sick people. I'm looking for sick people. What are you doing? Well, we're celebrating being healthy. Okay, that's not what I'm doing. I'm looking for sick people. Um, go learn the meaning of this scripture. Go learn the meaning of this scripture. I want to show mercy, not sacrifice. Wow. Um, I have called to call. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So there's two things that need to happen, I believe, for First Church to embrace these truths. Number one is what we do when coming into the presence where we humble ourselves. We don't come in as people who have completed the courses of righteousness and now celebrate by bearing our degree where people can read it. No, it's not how we come to church. We humble ourselves coming to church. I humble myself coming to church. I walk in to the pulpit saying, Lord, I don't know how to do this. You, all of us, worship. I need you. We must be the humbled or it's not the church that Jesus is looking for. That's what I believe. 
That's what I believe. That's number one. We who have some years of effort and some growth of spirit, we humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord. Our worship is not celebration of self, it is elevation of Him. And so I think, I think for the most part, many of us feel that way. And I feel like for the most part, most, most of us would be very quick to do it uh, and very quick to remind ourselves of it uh, and be very quick to point out our need of God, our need of mercy, not to celebrate our position, status, or title. God help us. <laughs> um, that's number one. Number two is this. We need to create an uh, environment where lost people can come and not feel like they're being secretly watched. They can come and it's okay. I love when I look out there and I see people that I know are struggling um, with real problems, uh, addictions and uh, losses. And, because they're, I, I say to myself, I know what they're going through and they're comfortable here in the house of the Lord. I love it. So I want to say to all of, all of you and particularly to those of you who might be susceptible to that temptation where I'm just going to stay home and hide. Um, because I didn't get this right. My life is not an example of this. I'm just going to quit going to church. I want to appeal to you. And I want to say, come encourage the preacher by showing up. What do you mean encourage the preacher? Well, if I know about something that happened or you're embarrassed about something and I look out there and our pastoral team looks out there and our worship team looks out there and we see you, we do not think well, look at that tramp. I mean, honey, you might be a tramp. I don't know. <laughs> okay, I'm entertaining myself. We don't look out there and say, look at that jerk. Brother, you might be a jerk. I've been a jerk. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Wait, that's not, well, if we do that, God forgive us. I don't think that's what we do. That's certainly not how, if you catch any of us in pre-service prayer or you, when we have our Saturday uh, leadership meetings and we pray for the service on Sunday, that's not what our prayer sounds like. I, 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 I will record a prayer and pray it for you. It's always prayers of help and bless and strengthen and renew and bring them out of darkness and give them strength and hope. That's how, that, that's how I, I, this team feels to me. Don't think we're looking at you thinking, oh, there's a somebody who can't get it right. No. Let me tell you what I think that for the most part we're thinking. I'm glad they're here and I'm glad I'm a part of a church where they can come and not feel rejection before they even get into the presence of the Lord. Lord, I'm praying that we would fulfill that. I'm praying that First Church, all of our various leaders and teams and pastoral staff, I'm praying that we would fulfill that, Lord, uh, that uh, we would both humble ourselves to the appropriate acceptance of our need, and at the same time, we would open our hearts to the reality of other people's circumstances. And so we become a church that fulfills what you're talking about when you said to the religious elite that they should go study what the scripture means, that you're looking for mercy to be shown. You're not looking to count the quality of sacrifice. You're looking for mercy to be shown. Lord Jesus, help us to manifest that. Help me to get that right. And if I'm not, Lord, convict me. We want to represent it. Represent your heart in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you. Have a great week. Sunday's going to be great. This past Sunday was amazing. We're looking forward 
Take care. Be careful. God bless you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.